Well, last week we started this sermon series that we've entitled Song of Solomon because we're looking at the biblical book of Song of Solomon. Did you catch that? What kind of book are we looking at? A biblical book. All right, we started last week with the question, like, why in the world would we do a sermon series on this book of the Bible? As a matter of fact, it was interesting. Last week, I asked for show of hands, how many have ever seen or heard a sermon series or an extended Bible study on this book? And there was like a half a dozen hands that went up. This just isn't a topic, a book of the Bible that a lot of churches address, but we believe it's significant. All scripture, Paul writes, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So we're going to spend a few weeks here in this book of the Bible because this is significant to do. Now, uh, it's, uh, it's fascinating to me. You, you never really know how, I never really knew how this was going to be accepted. I, I felt back in the fall like God was saying, I want you to go in this direction, but uh, it's kind of like, are you sure? I wasn't sure how it would be received, but a number of you, more than any other sermon series that I've done in my you know, entire, the number of years I've been a pastor, I had so many people come up this week at some point and, and make a comment about this series or, or about the first sermon. It was absolutely incredible. And, and, and even better than that, more exciting to me is I gave you a challenge last week. I said, I encourage you over the course of this series to read the book, Song of Solomon, it's eight chapters, to read it through once or, or even twice and and a number of you came to me and said, Pastor Earl, I, I've already read it twice. I, I, I read it through twice this week. I read it through three times this week. And uh, I just I want to say kudos to you for that. And if you're still working through it, keep it up. That's, that's excellent. Even more important than any sermon I will ever give is that you read and interact with the text yourself. I also had a number of people that have come to me and said, hey, Pastor Earl, I, I, I agree with you. It's important that we study this book, and, uh, and I, think, I, I think it's going to be great. But I'm just going to be honest. It's just not where I'm at right now, Pastor Earl. It's, I don't really know that this sermon series is, is for me. And I, I want to say I get that. I know there's a number of, you in, number of you in our congregation, in our church family, who would say, Mm, this isn't hitting my sweet spot. I don't, I don't really know that I need to hear a lot about marriage right now and, and, and love and, and how that all kind of works together. And, 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 I, and I get that. If I could have your ears for just a minute, those of you who would say, this isn't really where I'm at. You know what? I get it. I want to remind you that we're a church family. And then while you may be saying, I see the value in this series, but, but maybe not for me, I want you to just take a quick look around the, the sanctuary and see our church family. We have teenagers here who, who need to hear this. We have singles here who, who, who want to hear what God's going to say through these years. We have parents here who are saying, you know what? I really, I need some help. I need some support. I need some backup. And, and there, are, there are people here who are leaning into this series, to this book of the Bible and saying, Lord, speak to me. And so I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. If you're saying, great sermon series, not the right time for me, um, two things. First of all, don't give up. Um, I want to invite you now more than ever more to make sure that you're here for this. Even if you're saying it's not meant for me, you know what? Other people in our church family need to see brothers and sisters and moms and dads in the faith putting themselves under the word of God. And submitting to the authority of God's word and, and listening and saying, Lord, speak to me even if I think that maybe this isn't for me. And, and the second thing I want to challenge you, I want to encourage you if you're saying it, not really for me right now, is to pray with me. Pray for those 
who are saying for this sermon series, I need this. I need to hear from God on this. I need some help. I need some support. If, if there was ever a time in my life, this is it. And, and, and so those of you who are, who are in support of this series but not really sure you're going to get a lot of, out of it, will you pray with me for those who are wanting and hearing, wanting and, and, and needing to hear this? Would you do that? Okay, I see a few of you shaking your head. Yes, thank you. Let's, before we go any further, let's stop and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity we have to open your word, even, even to this book, Song of Solomon, which perplexes us and, and frightens us and makes us wonder. Lord, we would, we would pray for those in our church family who were leaning in to hear your voice in this book and in this series. We, we ask that you would speak clearly to them. Give them um, takeaways that there's no doubt that that's from the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for those who perhaps aren't expecting much from this series. They, uh, this isn't the time in their life where they need to hear a series like this. Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would surprise them with truth after truth, reality after reality of things that apply to them uh, because your Holy Spirit is alive and working in them. Lord, as we have through this series, we pray for those who are here who have been scarred by their own sexual sin or the sexual sin of another. Lord, we pray that this series would be an avenue of healing and hope and restoration for them, that by your spirit they can move forward in wholeness. And Lord, today I ask that you would speak perhaps to those who are struggling uh, with some form of love that's overflowed the boundaries you set for it. I pray that you would speak clearly to them in a way that only a perfect, loving, heavenly Father can that they would have no doubt that they've heard your spirit speaking and what you're asking of them. And then, Lord, I pray by your spirit, they would have the willingness, the desire, and the power to go where you lead. Father, we love you, and as, you, as we open your word today, we say, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. I'd like for us to start today in chapter 3 of Song of Solomon, verses 1 through 5. We're going to put this on the screen, and I'm just going to ask you to, to follow along as I read. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. All night long on my bed, this is the, the woman writing, this is the beloved. Uh, it's, a, it's a dream sequence. She's going to tell us about a dream she had through the night. And then when we get to the end, she's going to kind of decode it or give us the key to understanding what, was, what, what did she understand the dream to be about. All night long on my bed, I looked for the one my heart loves. I looked for him but did not find him. I will get up now and go about the city through its streets and squares. I will search for the one my heart loves. So I looked for him but did not find him. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. Have you seen the one my heart loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found the one my heart loves. I held him and would not let him go till I had brought him to my mother's house, to the room of the one who conceived me. Let me pause there for a minute. That's just a little, I don't know, creepy. Um, I found the one my heart loved and wouldn't let him go until I brought him into my mom and dad's bedroom. Um, like for us, like total creep out. Like that's not how we roll. Um, in this text, in this culture, uh, what she's saying is 
Um, I needed him to meet my family. I needed him to, uh, to be accepted and approved by, by my, my mother, my father, my brothers. And of course, we had a little more context for that last week. And, and now what she's going to do in verse 5 is kind of give us the key to what this whole dream means. Verse 5, daughters of Jerusalem, anyone listening, daughters of Beulah, sons of Beulah, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And so she, she tells us of this dream she had, and it's like she's saying, you know what? I am just so consumed with love for this man that it evades every part of my life. Even, even my nights when I'm supposed to be sleeping are filled with thoughts of this guy. And so the caution is be careful. Be careful about arousing, about waking up, about stirring love until the time is right. Because once you do, it's going to consume you. And, 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 and we get this both in the positive and in the negative. How many of you have ever been in a, a relationship with a member of the opposite sex and you were just so enthused that you couldn't think straight? All right, now some of you, come on now. Okay, we just doubled the length of the series. I should have, every married hand I should have seen in the air. At some point, you were delirious enough to propose, and she was delirious enough to say yes. Oh my goodness. Ask the question again, I heard. Fair enough. This is your second chance, men. You better, men, you better have your hand in the air first. How many of you have ever been in a relationship with a member of the opposite sex and, and you were so delighted that you couldn't think straight, you couldn't see straight? There we go, men. That's what I'm talking about. Pastor Joel's down here doing a little hanky wave. This is good. Whew. We'll start. Now I understand why God wanted me to preach this series. <laughs> so we, we, get a, we understand it. And how many of you have ever been in a, in a relationship with a member of the opposite sex, maybe even the same one? where it caused you more hurt and pain and discomfort than you ever hoped to experience. Yeah, yeah, I, I would suspect that we'd see the same hands and the same number of hands. This is the reality that the lover, the beloved is warning us of here. Don't arouse or awaken love until the time is right because it's so good it'll consume you. And it can also be very painful and can burn you. Now, in Hebrew, throughout the, uh, the, the Song of Solomon was written in the ancient language of Hebrew, different than modern Hebrew that Jews to this day speak. Uh, and, and so in the original language, in the biblical Hebrew, the Song of Solomon has different words that it uses throughout the book to describe this reality of love and love between a, a, a couple who were dating and engaged and, and eventually married. Now, we don't quite do the same thing in English, and, and you know this. In English, we have like basically one word for love. So we, we say that we use the same word, that four-letter word love, when we, we talk about how much we love our wife, although based on the number of hands that went up, and I don't know. Um, and, and when we say we, we love Bruno's pizza, I mean, same word. Like, like, I love my brother, and, and I love that TV show. Or, uh, like, um, um, I love my dog, and, and I love my cat, which should have me committed. 
But, but somehow in English, when, when we, we know the difference. Based on context, we understand, what the, we understand that we don't love our wife the same way we love our dog. We don't love Bruno's pizza the same way we love our kids. That's just, we, we get it in English. Well, in Hebrew, they're perhaps a little bit, um, a little more advanced than us. I don't know. So they use different words to signify the different kind of love. So what I'd like to do today is I'd like to show you three of these words that are, that are often in our English Bible translated as love or some form of uh, throughout the Song of Solomon so we can gain an understanding of, of what this love looks like that the beloved is saying, don't arouse or awaken this love until the time is right. The first one uh, comes right at the beginning of the book, Psalm, or Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 9. And as we read through this today, um, if you, we could go ahead and put that up, please, Dawn. Um, we're going to see, next one. Nope, go back. There we go. Um, we're going, you're going to see words in red. Whenever we see those, that is the Hebrew word love that we're talking about. I'm just going to ask you to say that word aloud with me as I read the text. Chapter 1, verse 9. I liken you my darling to a, a mare harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh. Okay, so we don't compliment like that, but you get the point. The Hebrew word here is the word raya. Say that with me. Raya. Yeah, it's like you're doing a karate chop, but with an R instead of an H. Raya. Say it again. Raya. Good. So, um, so raya is this, uh, it, it means to, to guard to care for, to associate with. That's like the, the verb. The noun form would be a companion or a friend. Um, the idea here is that it's, it's a soulmate. It's, it's someone you feel like you could spend all of your time with. You, you can share the, the deepest parts of your life and, 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 and they get it. Um, there's, a, there's a little bit of a romantic connotation, especially in this book, but there doesn't always have to be kind of at its, at its base, at its core meaning, this verb or this word raya is about friendship. And, uh, and we don't really have a word in English that carries everything that wraps up in this word. So darling is a common translation, depending on what version of the, the Bible you're reading. They, they, they use a word like darling to signify a friendship, but, but not necessarily overly romantic, but you can certainly see that there's a special relationship. So in the Song of Solomon, as, as, as we work through it, as you've read it, we already have the sense that there's some really passionate things being said. What I want you to catch is the bedrock of all of that is this notion of raya, this, this friendship. The love that this couple has is built from a foundation of companionship, from friendship. We're going we're gonna to talk about each of these loves in terms of a flame. And so this first flame is raya. So if we think about it today, um, some, some examples might be uh, the guy or the, the girl who has friends of the opposite gender, but there's not a lot of romantic, there's no romantic feelings. They just, they just find it easy to be friends with, with folks of the opposite gender. They're not boyfriend, they're not girlfriend, they're friend boy and, and friend girl. Um, it's, it's the couple who enjoys long motorcycle rides together. They like to garden together or shoot pool together. They've, they've been together long enough and they've cultivated common interests and, and they just like being together and, and doing things and having those things in common. It's the, uh, it's the widow or the widower who says, I just need someone to spend the days with. 
I just want someone to pass the time with, someone I enjoy being with, uh, who, who, can, uh, who can bring that missing companionship, that, that missing friendship to the, the, the rest of the time we have left together. For the, for the lovers in Song of Solomon, they had, they had an intense love. Their love is going to get hotter than this one little flame. But it's this friendship, this companionship, this rayah that forms the bedrock for their relationship. Understand this. Catch the example of the text. The best love, the best love you can have is built on a bedrock of friendship. That's what gives it stability and the ability to light the other flames. The second uh, love word that, that we're going to encounter is the Hebrew word ahava. Say that with me. Ahava. Ahava is a strong emotional attachment to your lover. It's, it's, a, it's a, a commitment that's fueled by your mind and by your will. It's, it's both those moments when your, your, your mind and your heart is bent to your lover with such, compa- such passion, such conviction that you can think of little else. It's, you know, I'm going a little dizzy. It's both that and a strong, willful commitment that I will love this person for the rest of my days. It's, it's both and. This is ahava. It's, it's a commitment to do everything you can to make the marriage work, to make the marriage last. Uh, this, this might look like the, the young couple that's getting ready to be married and they're, they're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars and, and, and hundreds of hours planning their wedding ceremony because they want the perfect day. But they have the ability to step back and say, you know what, we're investing this time and this money and this energy for eight to ten hours. But we long to have a relationship that's going to be 50 or 60 or 70 years long. And so we're going to invest in premarital counseling. We're we're going to sit down with someone who can help us prepare for this lifelong ahava, this commitment, this desire to stay together. This, is the, this, this ahava is the, uh, uh, the couple sitting in the, the pastor's office for, for marital counseling because, because they, they committed 20 years ago till, till death do us part. And right now it seems like something else is about to do us part and we will not go there. We will figure out how to not only stay married, but how to fall in love again, how to love one another the way that married couples do. We, 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 we will have this ahava back in our marriage. This, uh, this ahava, this love of the will, is the husband who gives up everything he loves and enjoys doing in his retirement years to be home and take care of his wife who's dying of cancer. Because while he enjoys everything else, he loves this woman with his whole heart and his whole will, and he would have nothing better to do than to be there caring for his wife. This is ahava, commitment of the will, a determination. We see it in chapter 8. Verses six through seven, follow along as I read and and you'll read the red words aloud. Remember, that's where we see Ahava. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. 
Many waters cannot quench Ahava. Rivers cannot wash it away. If one were to give all the wealth of his house for Ahava, he would be utterly scorned. The, the writer Solomon says this love is as strong as death. Its jealousy is as unyielding as the grave. And, and, and that word jealousy isn't a bad translation. We get jealousy. I mean, what lover doesn't get jealous when the one they love spends, spends their time and energy on something other than the relationship, a hobby, a, another person, a, whatever it is? We, we get jealousy. But I think a, probably a better understanding and translation of what Solomon says here is not jealousy, but passion. It's, it's, it's the same word that the, the text uses to describe God's his, his jealousy, his passion for his people, for the nation of Israel. A committed desire to pursue them no matter what. It's a strong, willful affection. It's, uh, it's maybe best visualized by the story of Jacob in Genesis 29. Do, do you remember the story? Jacob laid his eyes on a girl he wanted to marry. He was going to marry Rachel no matter what it took. And so he agreed with Rachel's dad that he would work for seven years. If he could have her hand in marriage, they struck the deal. He worked for seven years. They tied the knot. He wakes up the morning of the honeymoon and sees that it's not Rachel, but it's her... Um, Less than Rachel-like sister Leah. And so now he's going, what do I do? It wasn't Leah that I wanted. It wasn't Leah that I agreed to work for. It was Rachel. And so he goes back and he strikes another agreement. I'll work another seven years if you'll just let me marry Rachel. Genesis 29, uh, 20 says it like this. So Jacob worked for seven more years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him. Because of his love for her. This is ahava, a commitment, an intense desire of the will and the heart to be together. A lot of you know that a few months back I did my Grandma Smith's funeral. I officiated it. And uh, Grandma was pretty clear leading up to her funeral that she wanted, at her funeral, she wanted uh, Ron and Phyllis Phipps to lead worship. And some of you recognize that name. Ron had been um, Grandma and Grandpa's worship pastor at Zion Missionary up the road a number of years back uh, and, and had just an effective ministry that touched a lot of people, my grandma included. And so, so her wishes were that they would come and they would lead worship for the funeral. And so I contacted Ron as we were making funeral arrangements. And, and to be honest, I wasn't sure if he could do it. Um, if you know Ron and Phyllis, you kind of understand what's been happening here, but, but over the last several years, Phyllis's health has been deteriorating, and she's losing, losing ability, and, and it's really taken away a lot of her musical ability, and, and so I figured it'd be too, too much of a day, too much, much burden and stress, and, and they wouldn't be able to do it, but, but to my surprise, they accepted, and, and they were there to lead worship. And uh, before the funeral, Ron and I were, were standing, talking, and and uh, he was telling me the ins and outs of what's been going on with Phyllis. And at one point, I just looked at him and I said, Ron, this has been an incredibly difficult season for you, caring for your wife like you do. I don't know how you do it. And Ron looked at me in the eye and you know, kind of got that choked up look that, I mean, we men know when someone's, another man's about to cry. And he said, you know, I wouldn't have any other way. I love this woman. And God's given me the strength. This is ahava, 
Many waters can't wash it away. A debilitating disease doesn't lessen it. No, no knife, no, no, no cancer surgery can cut it away. This is a strong, committed, willful desire to be with your lover no matter what comes. This is Ahava. Our third uh, word that we see in Song of Solomon is the word dod. Say that with me. Dode. Uh, dode means simply at its basis to, uh, to rock, to sway, to fondle. Uh, this is the physical or the sexual component of married love. We see this uh, in chapter 7, verses 10 through 13. Again, you read the red words as, as we work through these verses. I belong to my lover. The, word, the Hebrew word is dodi. And his desire is for me. Come, my, my doty, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Let us go early to the vineyards. So they're going to a bed and breakfast. It's a romantic getaway. This is what couples do. Let us go early to the vineyards and see if the vines have budded, if their blossoms have opened, and if the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my, yeah, the word is doda. The mandrakes send out their fragrance and at our door is every delicacy, both old and new, that I have stored up for you, my, my lover, my dotie. I want you to, to catch here throughout the book, Song of Solomon. First of all, not only is this, this word used four times more than either of these two. I mean, we know what the book is about. It's about romantic love between husband and wife. But I want you to catch they use this both a noun and a verb. And I think that's significant. We, we just read it. She, she says, uh, he, or he says, um, come with me, my, my doty, my lover, and I'll give you my doda. I'll give you my love. This is significant that, that they use this, this word interchangeably. I believe what it, what it demonstrates is what they shared as a married couple, the thing that only they could share, the act of marriage reserved for married couples. They didn't see it as... They didn't see it as something to be whispered about. They didn't see it as something to be hush-hush. They saw it as glorious and precious and special, so much so that they would use the same word to talk about their activity together as they would a, a nickname for each other. So, so in Song of Solomon, we have these three loves. We have Raya. This friendship, this companionship. We have ahava, this strong, willful desire and commitment to be with one another. And we have dod, a physical or sexual affection. This is the, the well-rounded love that the book tells about, that, that God designed for us. It's it's, uh, it's three flames burning together in perfect harmony to create heat and light. And this, these three flames, these kinds of love are God's design. Now let me ask you a question. If this is what God designed, what would it look like if all of these three flames were merged into one flame? If they weren't three distinct flames, but somehow, at some point in the relationship, they became one. Can you imagine what that might look like? I can. I think it would be brighter 
think it would be brighter, certainly brighter, and, uh, and probably hot, yeah, definitely hotter, and uh, certainly stronger than any of these three flames combined. I believe the song teaches us that this is the kind of flame for which God has designed us. He's the God of the big flame. He's designed us to live in the big flame. He's designed for all three of these loves to come together as one. God's culmination for marriage is that the rayah flame, the friendship flame, the, the, the ahava, commitment, strong desire flame, and the, the dode, the physical, sexual affection flame would, would merge into one flame that's stronger than any of the rest, that produces more heat and more light than any of the candles could on their own. The problem is that our culture doesn't quite buy that. Our culture sells a love that takes the three flames and instead of merging them into one, says, you know what, we don't need all three. We can, we can do without one of them, can't we? And so you have this, this thing um, that's become more popular over the last several years called friendship with benefits. The idea is that we're friends of opposite genders and um, we're going to experiment together. We're going to try it out. We're going to see if it fits. Is, is this glove the right size? Are we compatible? And in one sense, okay, I mean, it kind of makes sense to a, to a mind that isn't pursuing Christ. But, but the problem is friendship with benefits cuts out the commitment, the lifelong willful desire to be with another person that focuses on on the, the, the physical, the sexual affection because of a friendship, because of a raya commitment. The reality is, though, that God designed us to live in the big flame, not to live in some of the small flames. The best thing we can find is in the big flame. Or, or let's say that, uh, that you have a married couple. They stood up and... Um, they said, till death do us part. And, uh, and then there's this, there's this person at work, and uh, they have a, a lot in common. They laugh at the same lame jokes. They like the same music, the same TV show. They just enjoy being in each other's presence. And, uh, and then, and then uh, over time, uh, he begins to notice how attractive she is when she flips her hair. And she begins to notice how sensitive he is compared to, compared to maybe what she's getting at home from her husband. And then one day, as their, their hands reach for the, uh, the copy machine, they touch, and, and boom, there's sparks. And they think, you know what? There's heat here. There's, there's, there's sparks. We can move forward with this. It'll be okay after all. Apparently, we're meant to be together. Otherwise, we wouldn't have these things in common. And, and, and so with no ahava flame, no commitment to each other, they have this fling. And culture says it's okay. There were sparks. There was heat. You should do it. But the reality is that God created us to live in the big flame. These puny little flames will not do. Or there's the uh, couple 
who's been married 35 years. And uh, they raise their kids. The kids are gone now. They're out of college. They're, they're starting life on their own. And uh, the couple looks around after 35 years and says, you know what? We don't have anything in common. Our kids were what we had in common. We don't have anything. There's, there's nothing holding us together anymore. And uh, because there's nothing holding them together anymore, there's just not a whole lot of physical affection anymore. And so they're looking going, I always said till death do its part, but I, mean, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if it's really worth it anymore. I mean, surely God didn't, doesn't want us to live so unhappy like this. Surely there's a better way to do this. Before long, they put out the only flame that remains. God designed us to live in the big flame where all three flames live and work together. Listen, God's desire is that we would maximize our, our raya, our friendship, that we'd, that we'd have a committed love till death do us part. And that we wouldn't ignore or downplay the physical and sexual expressions of that, but that they would all merge together. God's not afraid of our sexuality. God created our sexuality. And it's part of what it takes to make a marriage work. These three flames have to work together in order to see marriage done God's way. So, so what do we do with this? My guess is that most of you here today would say, I absolutely agree, Pastor Earl. Yes, absolutely. So, so how do we bring this home? How do we apply it to our lives? Let me ask a few questions of some, some different folks in our congregation. Let me start with parents. Parents, do you have a big flame love? Or do you have like a lame, wimpy, I'm tired right now, I've got a headache kind of love? Parents, catch this. If you're still raising kids at home, if you don't give them a picture of the big flame that's worth waiting for, that someday they can have, and that they'll enjoy every day of their lives, chances are they're not going to be able to wait. They're going to burn themselves on one of the smaller flames. Parents, you have got, got, got to cultivate all three flames. Keep all three flames burning. Keep that big flame bright. And so, so men, I'd, I'd, I'd like to tell you, um, you've got to find common interests with your wife. Women, you've got to make time to do things with your husband, even if you don't like it. Even if there's a hundred places you'd rather be than in the deer blind while the sun is coming up and you're freezing your toes off, you got to do it. And men, that doesn't get you out of going to like, you know, brownies and canvas night either. You've got to do things with your spouse. You've got to build the raya flame. Uh, you, you, you have to remain committed. Your kids have to know above everything else. It doesn't matter what happens with Johnny or Susie at school. Your mom and dad will never get a divorce. You may hear us fight and argue. We may get upset with each other at times, but we are committed. We love each other, and married couples work through these things. Our, our love may not be perfect. We may not always be, you know, head over heels and, 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 and uh, rainbows and cotton candy, but your mom and dad love each other, and we're not going anywhere. And, and you've got to make time. You've got to make time for the physical and, and sexual expression of love in marriage. Guys, I want to say to you that the key here is time. 
Men, you've got to remember that your wife every morning is like a new candle wick. And if you've ever tried to light a brand new candle, you know it ain't easy. It takes a little bit of time. You've got to hold the flame there. Let the, max, the wax melt off. And, and, and guys, that means for us it takes time. It's the, uh, it's the notes or the text messages through the day. It's the, it's the calling to say, hey, I just want you to know I was thinking about you. Is there anything I can do for you? It's, uh, it's when you walk through the kitchen and she's standing at the stove cooking or she's you know, doing whatever she's doing and, and you walk up and you put your hands on your shoulders and give her a gentle, non-sexual squeeze and lean in and whisper in her, in her ears, you look better today than you did on our wedding day. It takes time, men. Someone give me an amen if I have any idea what I'm talking about. Is this, am I right, women, or am I way off? Yeah, the women are going, preach it. Men, it takes time. The dode matters, but it takes time. Women, I would say to you, it's not a matter of time, but of times, okay? While you may be a fresh candle wick, your husband is like those annoying little birthday candles that'll never go out. Doesn't matter how much you blow on them, they spark and they relight. Women, you've got to understand for your husband, it means times. The more, the merrier. And for some of you here, you're like, oh yeah, that's funny, Pastor Earl. Um, but sexual intimacy is out of the equation. It's just not part of the relationship anymore. You know what? That's okay. Remember that dote isn't just about sexual intimacy. It's about physical intimacy. Hold hands. Put your arm around her. Hug. Embrace. This is part of love the way God designed it. Parents, you've got to live in the big flame. Singles, I want to talk to you for a minute before we wrap up. Let me ask you a question if you're not yet married. Um, uh, guys, are you pushing and pushing her to light her dode flame? Because guys, sometimes we don't even mean to do it, but we're pushing a little too hard. We're going too far, further than she's ready to go and, and, and sometimes further than God wants us to go. And men, if you're doing that, if you're, uh, you're not married yet, but you're pushing your significant other to go further than she wants to go, you need to back that horse up. You need to spend some time in uh, non-romantic settings. You need to build your common interests. You need to remind her that you love her. And, and if you haven't yet and you think it's going that way, you need to go to, to Jared's and, and you need to get a ring. You need to put a ring on that finger. And when you do it, you need to say, honey, I know we're engaged now, but I want you to know there is no more pressure for me. Until we're on our honeymoon, I will ask you to go no further than Scripture allows, and I'll ask you to go no further than you're comfortable with. Men, you got to set the pace. you got to set the tone. Women, I would say to you, uh, are you giving in and lighting your dode candle? You're going a little further than, than you want to go. You know what? With the help of the Holy Spirit, you set your boundaries. There's boundaries that Scripture makes clear. You can set yours more conservative. But I'm telling you, if you continue to, to allow him to light your dode flame, there's a good chance that eventually you're going to find that his rayah flame came with conditions. You've got to be careful. And to those of you who are couples and, and you're exclusive and, and you're heading towards marriage, maybe there's a ring on the finger, but, but maybe not, but you're definitely a couple and you're exclusive, 
Don't fall for the lie. Just because you're, you've committed to a wedding day doesn't mean you've committed to a person yet. Save all three flames being lit until marriage. Friends, God designed us to live in the big flame. And some of us here are on the opposite of the spectrum. Your, parent, your, your children are gone, and so is your first spouse. And I want to encourage you, God's word applies to you too. And regardless of the feelings and the temptations you face as a single again, I want to remind you what you had when you had the big flame. Don't go back and mess with the smaller flames. Wait until God sees fit to bring you someone with whom you can light all three flames. And don't mess around with one or the other while you wait. God designed us to live in the big flame. I'd like to, uh, like to close in prayer today. And as we do that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to open us in prayer. And then we're going to have a time of silence. You see, I think there's probably some folks here who are saying, I've been burned by a smaller flame. And so what I'd invite you to do is I open us in prayer and then in the silence, uh, I'd offer you to spend some time praying. And if you've gone further than you wanted to go before marriage or, or if you've done some things outside of your marriage that you know aren't part of the big flame or, or if you're waiting and waiting and, and you've, you, you've been surrounded by panels of cedar, but man, it's getting hard. And it's hard to stand tall in a perverse and crooked generation. I'm going to ask you in these moments of silence just to, uh, to express to God where you're at, to ask for forgiveness, to ask for healing, to ask for strength. And after I give you some, some time in the silence to pray, I'm going to close us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you who've revealed yourself to your people in the fire. Would you hear us as we pray? Father, we thank you for your word, which not only instructs us, but gives us examples. We thank you for the example of the lovers in the Song of Solomon who, uh, who had a love that pleased you, a, a love that wasn't just all friendship, it wasn't just all commitment, it wasn't just all physical expression, but it was the three of them combined into one. We thank you for the warnings that these flames are serious business. And if we don't do them the way God intended, we're, we're going to get burned. So what I would pray for those here today who are perhaps feeling the, the heat or, or the burn from a, from a wound, from perhaps it's, it's their own sinfulness, perhaps it's the sinfulness of someone else. Lord, I pray that there would be confession and repentance 
there'd be a new lifestyle, that they would know that they'd be reminded that when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and, and, and that not even sexual sin is a deal breaker, that because of your grace and mercy, there's forgiveness and restoration and there's wholeness. And Lord, I pray that you'd heal any marriage here that needs to be healed from sexual sin. I pray that you'd heal uh, any, any personal woundedness and that they would experience wholeness the way you intended Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here who are trying so hard to guard their flames. They, uh, they're, they're, they're trying to be pure and to make the right decisions, to wait for that day when they say, I do. Lord, I pray that you, that we as their brothers and sisters in Christ, as their mothers and fathers and their grandmas and grandpas, would surround them in panels of cedar and help them to be a door that stays appropriately closed the advances of, of those who would light their dode flame before it's time. And Lord, I pray for uh, married couples who are here. Lord, I pray that, that they would find all three flames of their love burning bright. And if, if they're starting to wane, that your spirit would speak to them and, and empower them, help them to uh, to, to, to heat up the one or the ones that are, are beginning to grow dim. Father, we thank you that you are the God of the big flame, that you designed us for something so much better than what our culture tells us is the ultimate. Would you help us to be countercultural, to shine a bright light in the darkness, that people would look at us and see men and women of integrity and faith and purity who love each other deeply, who know how to make a marriage go the distance, who know what it takes because we live according to the word of God. And may that be medicine to our friends and coworkers and neighbors who need healing. We love you, Father. We thank you. And we'll live, we'll do our best by your spirit's power to live according to your will and desire for us. We pray all of this in the glorious, powerful, strong name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. I'd like to bless you before we're dismissed. I'd actually like us to bless one another. If you'd please stand. And uh, if you're a guest today, uh, you'll hear everyone after I pronounce the blessing saying also to you. And, and in that way, as co-heirs in Christ, we'll bless one another. When the time is right, may you live in the big flame. May you know God's intense, committed, passionate love for you. And may the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit give you peace. Amen. You are loved. Go with grace.